76ers TV voice Kate Scott uses her words and doesn't mince them, recalling hurtful words she received in the recent past. Pardon my language, but you know, hey, you go back to California and be gay on the coast, things like that. But Kate, like the cool performer she is, keeps her focus. Being gay, being Jewish, she proudly wears it all, as she should. All at once, making history as a woman in a man's world. We tip off this brand new podcast with Kate Scott, our first ever guest, next on Fresh 24. Sixers lock all windows and doors. All right, Kate, I know you love the gig, but there are plenty of haters out there. And we're going to talk about the haters. But what do you like about the gig? Uh, everything. Is that too broad of an answer? Uh, Philly is a phenomenal city, as you know, being born here. The fans are, in my now biased, but previously unbiased opinion, the most passionate sports fans in the country. It helps that I walked into a team that's pretty darn good. I know you didn't get to deal with that for all of your 27 years, but that really helps. My partner, all is great. The food is great. The booze is great. Uh, I've got to tell you, everything's on sale here compared to uh, what it was in the Bay Area. <laughs> and right. uh, now I'm getting paid to call NBA basketball for one of the most stored franchises in the association. So there is not a part of it that I dislike just yet, although it is only year two. So I'm sure I'll get to that. I'm sure I'll get old and grumpy at some point. But right now, no. hey, Mark, I'm pinching myself saying, this is, I, I'm getting paid to call Sixers ball. This is ridiculous. I know. It is, it, it, I, I often felt that I, I would look around saying, I have imposter syndrome. I'll, I'll say that right up front. So yeah, me to too. me, I would look around. And, I think a lot of us in the business do. Yeah. But yeah. I would look around saying, I'm a kid who grew up in Northeast Philly. How is it that I'm doing this? So yeah. what do you ask yourself in those moments? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, you said it. I mean, I actually just finished reading a book on imposter syndrome. And I think maybe because I don't look and sound like, as you know, the majority of the people who do this, uh, it was pretty intense last year. And then on top of that, the, the Philly fans, really sad that you left, which I completely understood. And in addition to losing the guy who'd been the voice of their team for 27 years, now they've got to adjust to listening to a chick who they've never heard of before. Um, and I understood that frustration or dislike or whatever it was, but it obviously didn't make it any easier for me looking around and saying, okay, I don't look or sound like anybody who I'm seeing in any other city. The city doesn't seem very happy to have me, which I expected. This is, this is really hard, but I just kept coming back to NBC Philly and the Sixers had a lot of options and they chose me and they told me again and again, and you were a part of this. You were the best. This is your gig. We're here to support you. We know it's going to be tough at the start, but you earn this and deserve this. So don't wait for anybody else to tell you to be great. Know that you are, and then just go out and do it. Night in and night out, and you're just going to get better and better and more and more comfortable with each game. So that's what I try to tell myself, that, wow, how lucky am I? But at the same time, I've worked my ass off to get here. 
I've called hundreds of games and I'm ready for this. So there's going to be ups and downs and bumps and stuff, but already uh, in year two, feeling a lot smoother than last season. All right. We continue to tiptoe around the haters, but, and I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that. But you mentioned imposter syndrome. We're, we both fell on our swords here and said, I have imposter syndrome. Oh, so do I. <laughs> define, define it and tell me what the book said about it. Yeah, the book was really interesting. So it was written by a, a black woman who was super high up in Avon and makeup back in the day. And she was the only one who looked or sounded like her in a lot of the rooms that she was in. So she really struggled with her way of battling that was working herself to the bone, thinking that if she just worked that much more and harder than everyone around her, she would finally get over those feelings of not belonging. And and finally, once she was super high up in the company and had been a trailblazer in so many different ways, she realized, all I'm doing is making myself exhausted. I don't have any friends. I don't have a spouse because I, I have been so focused on this, not realizing that everybody around me has thought that I belong for a really long time. So she was just telling herself that. And then she, along the way, met a lot of other executives for huge companies, men, women, all, all different others, as they like to say, some white men like yourself, who just, for whatever reason, they grew up in a really small town. They never saw anybody else from where they grew up fitting in in a big city like Philly or New York, right? They were Jewish, they were gay. One thing or another that just showed them wow, I, I don't think I belong, but at, at the same time, this is what I want to do. Uh, and, and kind of the conclusion that they came to was, if you're looking for a reason not to belong, you're always going to find that. There's always going to be somebody telling you, you can't do this, you don't belong, you should go somewhere else. Because that's just the world we live in, right? It's a lot easier to be mean than it is to be nice and accepting uh, of other people. So it was interesting reading that book. I kind of feel like I have gotten over it through the reading of it um, just by realizing, yeah, I'm a kid from a small town in the middle of California that nobody knows. I didn't go to a big broadcasting school like Syracuse or Fordham or Northwestern or Temple. I didn't play a collegiate sport. My dad isn't in this industry. Yeah, there isn't any reason for me to be here other than I was a kid who grew up loving sports like a lot of Philly kids. My passion just reverberating throughout my body for sports. And I wanted to be a broadcaster. And then I just kept saying yes to every gig. And somehow, some way I ended up here. So I must belong because of all the work that I've put in. All right, Kate, you mentioned it. You mentioned Jewish. You mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned gay. But I'm a bad one in comparison to you, Zoo. You, you're oh. <laughs> a, a true Jew, as I like to say. I'm, I'm a fake one. <laughs> Well, listen, uh, whatever, you choose to identify yourself yeah. as Jewish and, of course, as gay. And the reason we know this is because you talk <laughs> about it all the time. Why? Sorry. Wouldn't it be easier to just, you know, lay low? Oh, it would. It would, because you look at me and you think I'm just a blonde white girl, right? And uh, I don't, people have told me, well, you don't look gay. And I know that that means something different to everybody. Um, but the reason that I am vocal about both of those aspects of my identity is because, and you know this, there's still not that many of us doing this in 2023. So I don't need people to know that about me, except for the people who also may identify as those things and want to do this. I want to be that person for them because 
it wasn't that long ago that I came out. I came out to my parents my junior year in college when I was at UC Berkeley in the San Francisco Bay Area, 2003. But when I came out to my parents, my mom started crying and I thought, shit, I thought she knew. <laughs> I thought she was going to be accepting. And, and she said, no, I, I am Kate and I did have an inkling. I'm just so scared for you because you're already trying to be a woman getting into this male-dominated field of sports broadcasting. And now you're going to be out and gay? What other gay women or just gay people do you know in broadcasting? And this was before Anderson Cooper and before Robin Roberts and before there was this wave of really well-known broadcasters who, who came out. And I said, Mom... That is a very valid point. <laughs> and I don't know, but if I ever get to a point where I'm really confident in my broadcasting, and because of that, I can then be open about other aspects of my life to then hopefully give the next generation hope that they can do this by seeing someone who is doing it, then then that's that's one of the paths I want to take. So that's why I talk about it, because you know me, I'm happy to be really private about everything. And this was one of the conversations I had with the folks at NBC and the Sixers, because again, I'm a propagandist for them, so I can be more or less vocal about my life, whatever feels most comfortable to you. And to their credit, they both said, we want all of you, Kate. We love all of you, and uh, we want you to be as open about everything as you'd like. This is an almost impossible question to answer, but as mm. I sit around, and I'm sure you do, being Jewish, being gay, anti-Semitism, homophobia, racism, all of it, and we seem more divided than ever as a society, as a world, yeah. Uh, how, how do we how do we get better at that? How do we get better at understanding each other, loving each other, appreciating each other? I mean, uh, what do you think? Yeah, that is a pretty impossible question. Yeah. Um, Go ahead, try answer. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, and I'm sure you can either agree with this or or disagree, but I think when people ask me how to be the best play by play announcer, I usually say you have to be a great listener. And people kind of look at you funny, right? Because you're paid to talk for a living. But in order, I think, to be a really good play-by-play -play announcer, I have to be listening intently to my partner. I have to be listening to what my producer is saying in my ear. I have to be listening to the players and coaches at shoot-arounds and in times when we're just walking to the bus. So, so much of what I'm able to bring when I'm talking is because of listening. And I think that we're just not doing enough of that as a society these days. We're just either getting ready to yell or say our points without really and and in addition to the listening maybe empathetically listening like not not going in with judgment as i'm listening um and, and truly trying to understand why somebody feels a certain way and then i think that's where we can start to move forward and, and another thing that i like to say and that is um just I, th I think being myself and not forcing people to accept me, whether it's as a woman, whether it's as a gay woman, as a Jewish woman. Uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine, actually, from the small town of Clovis that I'm from, and he's now working on a Ph.D. at Harvard. Saw him when we were up playing the Celtics. And he identified with this as well, that the best way to change hearts and minds, he's he's a proud Mexican-American and he works for the New York Times. And he says a lot of people, as soon as he comes into their communities, he, he covered Trump communities, where we're from is a very Christian conservative part of California. And, and he said when he would say, I work for the New York Times, the first response would people, people would go, oh, you're one of those bad media members and journalists. Mm -hmm. And 
he would allow them to say that. And then he would just go about his work similar to what I try to do, because we have learned that that is usually the best way, not forcing people to accept us immediately, but giving the best version of ourselves that we can. And then maybe when they go back and are with their friends who think the same way and start hating on the media or start hating on me or something, um, they can say, yeah, you know, I understand that. And I felt that way for a long time. But let me tell you about this interaction I had with this guy who worked for the Times. Let me tell you about uh, this gay woman who I had an interaction with, who's now the television voice of the Sixers. And I'm starting to, you know, I'm not completely changing my mind, but maybe I'm reconsidering how I felt about those people in the past. So, again, impossible question to answer. But what, what do you think when it comes to that, Mark? I agree with the listening part. The only thing is we're busy right now, I think, yelling at each other. You put yeah. on sports debate shows or news programs and you know, the yelling and everything, just trying to be heard above someone. Uh, the cowardly nature of social media where people can sit behind their keyboards and mm -hmm. send out these messages behind these fake accounts and all of that. Um, it, it's going to take some kind of a special intervention. I don't know if it's governmental. I don't know if it's spiritual. I don't know what it is, but yeah. um, I, 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 that's a deep philosophical question, I think, for another time. I, I did want to ask you specifically, Kate, mm -hmm. speaking of hate, and uh, I don't know how comfortable you are with this, but as comfortable as you can be, just give me some examples of when you first came to Philly, and hopefully it's abated somewhat, uh, some of the hate that you had to run into because you were you. Yeah. Um, well, the good news is that it has dissipated considerably, uh, much quicker than I actually expected. I gave myself a, a three-year kind of space to allow that to die down because I knew that this was such a massive job with so many eyes and ears on it. And uh, I'm thankful that I did a lot of firsts before this, right, uh, called 49ers games, um, called a Warriors game, called the Olympics, called Copa American Gold Cup, called a, an NHL game a few years ago. So I I had to deal with a lot of this before, which, as you know, thickens up your skin along the way, which is necessary when you're getting ready to step into a really prominent position like this. Um, but yeah, w when it comes to then the hate, the thing was, it was the same. This is what I tried to say. I think I did a little tweet thread kind of December of 2021 going into 2022 because people were saying, oh, people in Philly are so mean. And I said, no, wait a second. <laughs> These are the same tweets and direct messages I got when I worked in San Francisco, you know, when I when I called the hockey game uh, in Chicago. It is it is not a Philly thing. It is just as, as we were talking about just moments ago, it's a society thing. We feel so emboldened these days to be really mean about our dislike of somebody we don't know whatsoever. So pardon my language, but you know, hey, you cunt faggot bitch, go back to California and be gay on the coast, things like that. Um, you know, we don't want a woman calling sports. What the fuck do you know about men's basketball with your vagina? Things like that. Um, and again, they hurt because I, I love to interact with people on social media. So in order to be able to interact with the people who are kind and want to know about me or want to interact, at least in a um, civil way, I have to read the bad 
messages and tweets to be able to interact with the good or interested ones as well. Um, so it was it was really tough for a while just because of what I told you earlier. Um, I, I knew that I didn't look or sound like anybody other than Lisa in Milwaukee who was doing this. Uh, I knew that there was going to be a huge void left by you retiring because of what a phenomenal broadcaster and human you were. Um, so it was it was a lot. But to Philly and everybody else's credit, they seem for the most part now to just be critiquing me as a broadcaster. And, and that's what you love. If they tell me they don't like my face or my voice, that's that's the same thing you're getting, same thing that Ian Eagle and Kevin Harlan are getting. Uh, I completely understand that broadcasting is a subjective business. Some people are going to like me, some people are not. But as long as it's not hatred because of who I am, um, then bring it on because that's just a part of being a public face and working in this industry. Let me just put a code on that and say that, as you probably know from your uh, female colleagues, you're not alone. I wrote a sports media textbook and there's a chapter in there that you interviewed for, mm -hmm. and I appreciate that on women and diversity in the business. And Susan Waldman, the longtime color analyst for the Yankees told me a story of how when she first started, she received a used condom in the mm. mail. So uh, it can yeah. get pretty graphic and pretty disgusting. But well, um, and that's I, the thing. So on that note, just real quick yeah. before we move yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I also try to tell people that it, it it's hard right now, but it was so much harder 10, 15 years ago. So that's why as often as I can, I shoot shout out women like her and, and women who came before me because just like you, I've, I've heard the true horror stories of how not just anonymous folks on the internet were treating them, but the people they actually had to cover, the athletes and the coaches and their fellow media members were horrific to them. And then on top of that, they did a great job. So I'm not here without those women. I just wanna take a moment to shout that out. Good for you. Speaking of women, you are married to a wonderful one in Nicole, I've had the chance to meet her. <laughs> and I think part of trying to heal us as a society is to, just normalize and, um, you know, bring out the humanity and who we are, whether we're gay or heterosexual or whatever, you are married. And I can only imagine, and I'm going to put words in your mouth here, you respond, but I can only imagine it's no different than a man and a woman. You're married and you have the same issues and the same discussions yeah. and everything else, right? Am I right? Oh, a hundred percent. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as somebody who was married throughout the course of your Sixers play-by-play -play career, Honey, you've been gone for the past week and a half, so this is your list of things to do. I know you just want to sleep <laughs> when you get home, but the car needs its oil changed, and I need you to go grocery shopping, and also this needs to be done, right? So it right. is the same thing, and that's, that's another reason that I have been out for a very long time, because I know for a lot of people, uh, they haven't had any interaction with a gay person, man or woman, and they may have these ideas of how different it is in their head. <laughs> but I still remember working in sports radio in San Francisco. And some of my favorite messages after the hate dissipated there as well was, wow, I, this, you are the first person that is gay that I've ever listened. I, I, I've just always seen people in, in glitter on floats during Pride Weekend on the news in June. And wow, you sound really boring like me and my wife. You guys go to Home Depot and then you're going to support your nephew at his soccer game and you're you're fighting over who should get the last beer in the fridge. You've really opened my eyes and ears, Kate, that 
I thought it was so different, but it sounds a lot similar. So yeah, we deal with a lot of the same stuff as you and Deb. Tell Nicole I said hello, by the way. Now, uh, let, you said something earlier, Kate, about uh, Philadelphia fans being, uh, I guess, the most, devo- I'll put words in your mouth here, the most devoted, the most passionate uh, that you have seen. And clearly, you've been to a lot of venues, a lot of cities around the United States. Uh, I, I, know, I know my feeling on it because I was born and bred here. Mm-hmm. You've been here as a full-timer for about 18 months. What is your theory as to why we're so passionate? Hmm. Wow. That might be an impossible one to answer as well. It seems like it's either in the water or in the blood or in the stakes here or something, Mark. Because yeah. So, uh, so, so let me say this. Uh, yeah. There, there is the, uh, there is one theory and that Philadelphia is located between New York and Washington. And we've always had this thing, this inferiority complex. So mm-hmm. uh, we project that onto our teams, wanting them to do well. Uh, There's also the theory that uh, unlike New York and Washington that are perceived to be more cosmopolitan, where very blue collar and, you know, punch your time clock and do do your daily work nine to five as best as you can. Um, I have this other theory, which uh, might be kind of weird, but, you know, we portray ourselves as the city of brotherly love, yet we are a city where... We are separated very distinctly and clearly oftentimes in our neighborhoods. But uh, wearing the red, white, and blue of the Sixers or the green of the Eagles or the red of the Phillies or the orange and black of the Flyers or the blue and gold of the Union gives us a chance to emerge from our cocoons, our neighborhoods, come together with people of different religions, of different races, and so forth, and to have a common cause. So... I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but that's my theory. No, I think it's, I think it's all of those things um, because that is one of my favorite things about working in sport, just in general, in my opinion, it is maybe the final frontier when it comes to being able to bring people together who would never interact in any other facet of their life, but because they love this team, um, that is that is a community that they just feel differently about because maybe they're able to be someone different in that community. Um, And I think in addition to all the things you said, (laughs) one of the things that stood out to me after being born and raised and spending the first 38 years of my life in California, this is where the entire country was born in Philly. And you know, as, as a soccer footy fan like me, sometimes it just takes history to build upon history and for, for the love to run that much deeper because it's just been a, around for that much longer. Um, so I think that it's all of those things combined into one. And I just, it, it means so much because I think the, not the worst, but one of the not fun things as a broadcaster is when you're really fired up about this big game and you get to an arena and there's 250 people there, right? That would happen at some of the college games I was calling. It's a great team against a great team, but just nobody cares in that community. And you just wanted to shake people and say, this is, this is going to be such a fun, entertaining two and a half hours. How can you not want to be here? And I love that here in Philly, you don't have to do that for any sport. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, we're playing the Detroit Pistons and it is a sellout and the Wells Fargo Center is rocking. And it's as, as a broadcaster to be lucky enough to step into a situation like that where every game matters, regardless of when it is. Some obviously matter more than others. 
But every game, people are there and care. And as somebody who feels that way about my job and about sports, it is so cool to have walked into a community that, that feels the same. You ever get nervous before you go on TV? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a part of it, right? Right. Um, well, I, I did all the time, but I have my own theory about that. But tell me about your, your well, my theory is this. It's it's no different than the horses at the Kentucky Derby. They mm -hmm. know what's coming. These are trained uh, athletes. Yeah. So they put them in these little boxes before they spring open the gates to, to race. And the horse knows what's coming. So because of that, the adrenaline starts to flow, mm -hmm. but there's no place to go because you're locked up. And so they start jumping around from nerves and that sort of thing. So the, the quote that I came up with is nerves are the body's way of getting you ready to be a success. Mm. That your adrenaline is going and your body is preparing you to be a success, but the red light is not on. You're not performing yet. So mm. what do you do? You're walking around and you're nervous because, <laughs> you know, the adrenaline has no place or nothing to power, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, which, so tell us about getting nervous and uh, what all that means to you. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and I do definitely feel that that's I love your quote. I'm going to start using that or write it down somewhere. Um, because I'm sure we've all heard the pressure is a privilege quote. And one of one of the many reasons I love play by play is as opposed to because I've done everything. I've done studio anchoring. I've done sideline reporting. Um, I've written. I've done sports radio. And one of my favorite parts about play by play is that you do get those nerves and jitters that remind me. It's been a long time since I actually played sports. Right. But that was one of my favorite things, the anticipation and the positive anxiety that you would feel before a game or a match because you've put in all this work and done all this preparation and now you're going up against an opponent who you're really evenly matched with and you want to win. I'm really competitive. And, you know, one of my goals in the next number of years is to hopefully be a part of one of the best broadcasting tandems uh, in the NBA with Allah in regards to, I know fans may not feel that way, but uh, the respect of my colleagues at all the other regional sports networks and hopefully people above that as well who just think, man, they're such a great listen. They're really good at what they do, but it's fun and entertaining. So I know that feeling those nerves beforehand, just like way back in the day when I played sports, it just kind of reminds me of that. Like how lucky am I to be here? And now, now it's time to go. Now it's time to compete and be the best broadcaster I can, and then review after the game, watch the game film, and then try to be even better the next time around. Speaking of which, I always beat myself up for my own humanity, which was when I would make a mistake, yeah. bad or like a serious mistake, or just a you know mispronouncing somebody's name or something like that. Um, and I had this real fear of not only making a mistake, but when I made one, I would beat myself up and it would mm -hmm. take me, you know, the entire broadcast to pull myself up. And yeah. do you have any, any similar fears to that? Uh, you know, I did for a long time. And for some strange reason, it has gotten better this year because I hmm. would do the same thing. Make a, make a little mistake. In our minds, it would be huge. But mm -hmm. you watch the broadcast back afterwards, right? And you'd say, oh, actually, that that felt way worse in my head or it sounded way worse in my head. But if I was just a, a casual watcher or listener, 
I probably wouldn't even notice because I was that focused on perfectionism. Um, and a couple of things from colleagues who also do play-by-play. -play. One told me, uh, and he was the team, uh, he was the voice of a team back in California, said, Kate, when you, uh, when you become the first ever play-by-play -play announcer to do a perfect broadcast, you let me know because I've been doing this for about 20 years longer than you and I still have not exactly. had a perfect broadcast. And I thought, that's a really good way of looking at things. Um, and also, as human beings, when we're talking just like this, we make mistakes, right? We stumble, not, not on purpose. We may say something wrong. Um, so getting back to what you just said about humanity, I'm trying to allow myself to do that. I still hate it when it happens, but I also know I have the whole rest of this broadcast and I have another two later this week. So don't let it happen again. Learn from the mistake and, and be better because of it. Um, you know, the first on air job I ever had was radio traffic reporting back in the Bay because <laughs> everybody right. wants to do sports, but you got to get your foot in the door somewhere. And oh my gosh, my first report stumbling and bumbling. There's a car in the right lane. No, the left lane. No, the right lane. Uh, eastbound 80 before university. And just <laughs> like st I was just a car wreck. And the guy who was helping me, who was coaching me said, Kate, just try to make your last mistake, your last mistake every time. We're all going to make mistakes when we're doing this. Just try to make it your last one. Um, and I've held on to that all these years later because, you know, there's still calls that I'm not happy with this season, but I talk about them with you and other people who are in this industry and I respect and trust and we break things down together and then we move on and get better because if I get stuck in that moment, then the rest of the broadcast is going to suffer. But, but like you said, it's, it's been a hard thing to realize to, to get to this point. Uh, in a very short period of time, you have developed great chemistry with Allah, who I just adore as a friend yeah. and felt that I had good chemistry with him. That was always the highest compliment I could get from a viewer. How do you develop chemistry with Allah specifically and in mm -hmm. general with a broadcast partner? Yeah, well, as you know, <laughs> more than anybody else since you worked with him, uh, I got really lucky because we clicked instantly. Uh, so that's where it starts. And you know that that, that does, doesn't always happen. Sometimes you're just on-air partners. And if you're great at what you do, you're still able to make the viewer think that you are good friends because you figure out their pacing, uh, I would ask previous partners beforehand when I was just going, working with a different person every other day on a different sport, what are some things that you enjoy talking about? What don't you like to talk about? Most of them were former players and coaches like Allah. Do you enjoy talking about your playing days? Some didn't want to talk about it at all. Um, how do you prep? What are things that I can set you up for success to talk about? If there's things you're not prepped for, I don't want to make you sound stupid on air. So having all of those conversations and then just like any relationship, spending time together. Um, it was, it was tough because we weren't traveling at the beginning of last year, but once we started traveling in February and you know, we're always sitting on the plane next to each other or eating meals together and just getting to know each other as humans more than broadcast partners. That really helped. So we're just getting more and more comfortable with each other because like you said, that is that is my goal. Each and every broadcast for people to say, you two are really enjoyable. And thank you for making this game even better than it would have been otherwise just because of the chemistry and relationship that I can tell you have. So it's it's uh, an ongoing thing like any friendship and relationship, but I feel like I'm actually blown away by how well I feel like we 
are getting along and sounding as a result uh, in just a year two. Yeah, it's a great listen. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And having him as a partner and knowing what you go through as a broadcaster, I have great admiration for what you've been able to do in a short period of time. Um, I always found it interesting, Kate, to talk to fans who always thought that I had uh, I was friends with coaches and I was friends with players <laughs> that Joel Embiid would invite me to his house for a seven course oh, yeah. meal. Totally. Um, and, Please explain. And what I always used to say, and you can answer in your own way, but um, yeah, I have a great relationship with players and coaches, but I work at it and it's purely professional. It mm -hmm. is rarely, if ever, a personal one. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about your relationships with players and coaches. Yeah, that's how mine are as well. Um, I'm around the team as often as I can be at shoot arounds and practices, now traveling with the team. That really helps as well. Uh, one of the best things, <laughs> uh, which was unexpected, but when I got here last year, uh, COVID was still very much a thing and it went through the team in December, January, and a lot of the guys were forced to stay at home and listen to some of our games. So they had seen the chick with the glasses, you know, sitting at shoot around or practice, but I like to, I ease my way into things because I know, I know how much is asked of our star athletes. And once you get to the professional level, they are, they have people grabbing at them all day, every day for something. So I didn't want to come in and show myself as that person. I just wanted to be somebody here doing my job. And once they got comfortable with me being in their space, I knew that we would start to interact more as friends, just on a professional level. And that's been the case. So the guys were able to hear me last year. And it was funny, George Niang actually was the first to send me a message saying, man, I love your energy and excitement, Kate. It's so fun to have you as our broadcaster. So then we chatted after a shoot around after he sent me that note. And then as you know, his teammates saw him and I could see them asking him questions and kind of pointing to me, what, whatever they were saying, who is that or how was the interaction? And that's how things start to spread, right? And then talk to Tyrese and Danny Green and then slowly but surely you get to um, talk to more and more people because word gets around, hopefully, that you're a really kind human who's working their tail off to be the best Sixers broadcaster you can be. And then you get little moments with guys on the bus and walking to the elevator and after shoot around or practice or after a game. Um, but, but like you said, uh, I don't, because <laughs> guys can get traded away in a heartbeat. This is a business more than anything. Um, and I don't ever want to feel or sound, um, more, more, uh, in favor of a certain player than another guy on the team, because we're the voice of the entire team. Um, so I, I do keep it strictly professional. I'm not going out to dinner with these guys and throwing back beers, but, but if we're at a coffee shop and getting ready to get on the bus for shoot around, yeah, I'll, I'll ask if they have a minute to chat and then we'll talk about things. And I try to approach things first and foremost from a humanity perspective, because I think so few people approach them like that, like that, right? They want to know how you feel about this trade or how you're going to play defense on this guy. But I always try to approach it as, Hey, I saw you just, rescued a pit bull. Hey, I, I saw you just got married. How's your daughter's volleyball team doing? And then that usually want, uh, allows them to warm up more because they realize that I see them as a human being who happens to play basketball or coach basketball. And we go from there. Yeah, I always call those icebreak <clears throat> icebreakers where mm -hmm. um, I would saunter up to someone and instead of saying, well, how do you handle the pick and roll tonight? <laughs> it would be, 
like you said, I uh, saw so you got a new pet or you yeah. have embraced a new cause, that sort of thing. Uh, one last question for you. It's, you know, becoming an authentic Philadelphian takes time like anything else. Yeah. Your roots are not here. You clearly spent the vast majority of your life elsewhere. But you are here, and I think here to stay for a very, very long time. Mm, uh, what What is it like uh, becoming uh, a Philadelphian and truly embracing and absorbing everything we have to offer to the point where you begin to identify yourself, not as Clovis, <laughs> California's Kate Scott, but as Philly's yeah. Kate Scott? Yeah. Um, huh. It feels really special, Mark. Um I don't think too many people get the opportunity midway or whatever this point in my life is moved across the country at 38 and get the opportunity to discover uh, a new part of the country, a new community, a new side of themselves in the process um, and have the time and space and financial support because the job that I've gotten to be able to do that. So it feels really special because I've always, I've always loved getting to know new things and new people. Um, like I said, I grew up in a small conservative town in kind of nowhere, California. And then I went to UC Berkeley in the San Francisco Bay area for, for college. So that was a massive change from the people and community where I spent the first 18 years of my life. And I had interactions and ate meals and met people who I'd never seen people who looked like people I met in the Bay Area before or were passionate about things or um, wanted to have me taste this food that I'd never had before. And that changed me as a human and I think made me a more well-rounded um, member of our society. And now to get the chance to do this again um, and getting to know not just Philly, but the other side of the United States, truly. Um, has been so special. And the people here, I told you and I've told so many others that I think you you have done a fantastic job projecting this. We don't want you stay away to just keep housing prices down, which I really appreciated. But everybody I've met, have there's a, a warmth and a kindness and an honesty to people here that feels like I've come home. Um, yeah, people are direct, but I've never taken that as rude because I've always been an honest, direct person. If I suck, I want you to tell me I suck so I can get better. <laughs> if right. you love something, I, I want you to show me that passion and love because that excites me about it and wants me to then go out and try it. Um, so it's been really special and I'm already starting to feel like uh, this is home. You know, we had our big West Coast road trip to LA's and Sacramento and I saw a bunch of friends and, and family, but it no longer already felt like home. I remember mm. calling Nicole, my wife, and saying, I'm ready, I'm ready to come home. And, mm -hmm. and Philly is home now. And yes, I'm still very much in the learning stages. And I know that some people aren't going to think that uh, I'm a Philly girl for a long time or forever. And I get that. But, um, but it does feel because of the blue collarness of it, because of the passion, because of the grit, because of so many things that I have identified with, all of my life in order to get here. Uh, it feels like I've come home. So it's really fun now getting to explore and discover all these new things as I approach my 40th birthday this year. Happy birthday, girlfriend. <laughs> Still got Happy some Happy birthday. 
months and months. <laughs> so uh, I have this thing, you know, I imitate public address announcers, and I'm going to do it right now, saying, leading off, 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 playing second base, base, base. Kate, 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 Scott, 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 you're our leadoff hitter for this Fresh 24 podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it, and I'll see you down the road for sure. I love you so much. Thank you Back all, at you. all of your support last year, and now you are the best. I could not have taken the baton from a better broadcaster and human being. I love you. Thank you. Love you back.